Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Mastering Dungeons. I am Sean Merwin, here with my co-host and man of the hour, Tower of Power, Teos Alpha Stream Abadia. Hey, Teos, how are you? Sean, I am doing great. I am excited about this thing that comes with two Ds and an ampersand. I mean, complete package. We're not going to say what order they're in. No. But, or but, whether they get a flanking bonus because they're on either side of the ampersand. Is the ampersand in trouble? Generally speaking, yes. <laughs> generally speaking, yes. I feel sorry for the ampersand just in general, but mm-hmm. being flanked, that's that's no fun. Yeah. Especially if you use the optional rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide that say you gain advantage for the flanking. So, And then bring it up at every table ever. Yep. Yep. DMs, don't use it. It's bad. Anyway, uh, this is going to be, you are all in for a treat on this show because Teos and I are tired. One of us may or may not be intoxicated. I'm not going to mention who that might be. Uh, It's not me. (laughs) So, so we are, we are ready for this. Uh, Let us dive into our D and D news for the week. Last week, we talked about the first adventure in the Magic the Gathering adventure series. This week, we will look at the second one uh, called The Hidden Page. Teos is going to lead us through this. What? Yes. Uh, this is also by the amazing Will Heinmark, and I know his writing enough from working on uh, with him on Level Eater events, which is a cool event that he uh, runs in Chicago and Portland. Uh, and his kind of neat way of approaching adventures to sort of recognize his style throughout here. And and it's very fun, very pleasing. This adventure is again, as the previous one was for four to six level eight PCs, but you will be ninth level at the end of it. And the premise is this wizard. She's named Sylvine. She came to the sword coast from Ravnica and explored the Waterdeep area, fell in love, had a child returned to build like a demiplane, passes away, and I think it's the child of her child who is kind of the villain in this overall story. And we've been following their first footsteps and now again uh, their path as they came to this demiplane of their parents. Um, and maybe it's her child. Oh, got, got lost in the day. But anyway, there's some familial relationship. And one thing that's interesting here is just last week, I think we said that wizards had kind of said that they're not going to officially link the two worlds, the the planes of Magic the Gathering and the planes of Forgotten Realms. But here we clearly see, you know, Ravnica tied again to Forgotten Realms, just as happened during the Acquisitions Incorporated show. Yep. So whether they're going to do it officially or not, they are doing it in this adventure. So that that's... Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, anything yeah. special about the adventure that you, I did not read it. So uh, anything that yeah. you noted? Part one is traps. It's a little bit like the last time. There are some very clever, fun concepts for traps. If you want to, you know, just steal a trap section for uh, your next dungeon, then this is a fun way to pull them from or get inspiration on how traps can work. Uh, this is pretty neat. Um, there are some great details and evocative writing around the island area, the demiplane that you explore. And as before, it's sort of this idea of things have, you know, this place has the people who were here have left. And how the adventure is based in that is kind of neat to create this possibility for a lot of role play, a lot of exploration, and then some little bits of combat. But it could really be a very low combat adventure 
uh, other than the trap part of it, mm-hmm. if you wanted to do so, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. That is cool. Uh, uh, there is again a map error <laughs> that says uh, one mile by half a mile, but the text says three by two. So, you know, right, twice right. the size. Yeah. So uh, that, that's that, non-standard language. Yeah. Speaking of that non-standard language, that brings to question what we noted last week, but didn't say aloud was that while they gave, you know, the artists for the, the adventure and the, the designer, obviously being Will, um, they didn't give an editor's name. And- yeah, I noticed that uh, when I looked at the non-standard language, it had some things like saying, like, to disarm or dispel this trap requires a successful DC-18 check. And that's not the standard way you would write it. And, and D&D, you, you may think that's silly, but if you've seen the way D&D is written as a designer, you know, through that lens, they have, like, sort of two different ways this is written, mm-hmm. and this is not one of them. Right. And they do that so that you get this kind of common language that all DMs expect and process sort of seamlessly as they read it over and over again. It's a kind of good approach. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. And there are other examples, too, that, that are just a little different. Um, it's not a problem, right. but it, it's, it was interesting. It, it's of interest it. to Teos and I because as designers, you look at these things. And the first question I have when I see this is, are they making a change? Are they making a change to the way that they do checks, which is, which is fine because honestly, I would prefer to have them say DC 18 check. than I, as the DM can say, Oh, well, it can be a nature check maybe rather than Mm -hmm. a dexterity sleight of hand or a dexterity thieves tools check. You know, it can be whatever I want it to be, Yeah, but we want as designers and DMs to know that that's why yeah. they left that out as opposed to some other reason. Yeah. So, uh, you know, normally we wouldn't bring up these things, but as designers, yeah. y- your, your, uh, your spidey senses start to go yeah. off yeah. Uh, when you see and that. And my, my guess, you know, if I had to place money down, I would place it on the side of this was just handled in a different way through a slightly different team. And it's all good enough because it is. It's this is still high quality. You know, this is not a problem, um, and so it just ends up being different. But you know, I think John and I will both be looking at future releases that aren't magic to see if for some reason the language changes a bit. Yep. Probably not, but it's always interesting to note. Yeah. Uh, next, D and D Live. It is. It is happening. It will be happening hopefully the day after this uh, episode drops. And we have more and more news coming out about it. Um, we've already said that Watsi is partnering with G4 uh, to, to host it. Uh, it will also be on the Peacock uh, app, the Peacock network of NBC. Uh, festivities begin on July 16th at 3 p.m. Eastern time or noon Pacific. Uh, they have put up a schedule that includes a new Book reveal called the unannounced book deep dive. <laughs> so it's it's likely that this is a book that would release somewhere between the the Witchlight book that's coming out and the Strixhaven book. Uh, it's not expected to be a classic setting based on hints that have been uh, dropped around, but you never know uh, you know what's going to come at these events. Sometimes they announce things that not even the people that working at Wizards knew that they were going to announce. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we're looking forward to the surprise. Uh, the show yeah. is being hosted by Becca Scott, D, uh, B. Dave Walters, and Micah Burton. Uh, 
normally they have interviews with the designers of the the lead designers of the books. We're expecting that to happen as well. Uh, in addition, they'll be looking at the magic card set for uh, the D and D and Magic: The Gathering crossover. Uh, what else is on the agenda here? Games. Uh, this year we don't have the ability for people to play games, so you have those virtual play weekends, which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like there's a lack of official D and D programming. It just isn't. Gaming, where you, the listener, gets to play is not part of it. Uh, We instead get to watch these streamed games. There are a series of them, two the first day, July 16th, three on the 17th. And each of them chose a different cause to raise benefits for. Um, The first one is Chaos Carnival with Abria Iyengar, who is the DM for the Critical Role Summer Show, and four WWE wrestlers. Xavier Woods, Ember Moon, uh, Mace, and Tyler Breeze. Two of those I think have not played D&D in the past, or at least I'm not aware of it. Um, Xavier Woods is famous for all the uh, Acquisitions Inc. games where he is super, super energetic and fun to watch and likes blood and cheese. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that. Uh, And one of the things that I started thinking about when I was looking through this is how things start getting tied in when you do these kinds of deals, right? So you're like, oh, it's G4. They're going to announce this thing. Well, it's tied to Peacock. Okay. What does Peacock carry? Well, they carry the WWE network. Yep. Oh, okay. So we have a WWE show. And then you're like, okay, later on, there'll be another one, which is a TV show. Oh, what network does that run? Oh, Peacock. Peacock, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, this all starts to come together and it's all leveraging things. And so that's the way it is. Yeah, but It's, it's, it's exciting. As as somebody who's been a fan of D and D for all these years, to even be able to start thinking in that way, because it used yeah. to be we can't even get a coloring book published, and now it's cross promotions on major networks, and it's true. You know, these things uh, were never even in the realm of possibility. Yeah, uh, right. Ten, fifteen, huh. even five years ago. So yeah, yeah. it's true. Um, our second game is The Adventure, The Palace of the Vampire Queen. And this is interesting because it's an old uh, Wii Warriors uh, adventure. It was one of the first ever adventures created. Um, if you look at it, it I think DM David had a blog recently on it. It kind of has almost nothing to it. Um, so B. Dave Walters is running this, and I'm very curious what he or whoever it is that did the writing um, is going to run for it. Uh, and this features the Peacock Show... AP Bio, mm-hmm. um, which has Patton Oswalt on it, which is very cool. You know, Marvel fans uh, and others rejoice. Patton's done a lot of cool things. Um, but I'm curious whether this will at all really be the Palace of the Vampire Queen in some way or what's going on here. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And that's only on July 16th. Oh, man. July yeah. 17th. Yep. I mean, that's your big show right there, right? Last Odyssey. Uh-huh. Last Delight. This is Jack Black, Kevin Smith, Reggie Watts, Lauren Lupkus, Jason Mewes, and Tiffany Haddish. And the Dungeon Master is Kate Welch, which is great to see her come back and and work with the team. Mm -hmm. Um, The players will delve deep into dragons and krakens, apparently. Uh, This is another thing that's about this partnership is because it's on the G4 network, it was written up, I guess, by G4 people, and it had humor in it that sometimes was really hard to figure out to what extent might be true, especially given that this is Kate Welch. So the joke here that was in there was that they're going to investigate dragons, krakens, and uh, I think it said Jack Black's legendary pandemic beard. And I'm <laughs> like, I think that's not real, but, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Who knows? 
Uh, yeah, uh, and, and also on the 17th, Amy Vorpal will be running a game, and I'm not making this up, Flubby Bonks and Grezzle Shucks. Uh, streamers Dr. Lupo and Negrax uh, will host the comedian Ify uh, Nadue and uh, G4 cast members Kevin Pieri, Adam Sessler, and Fiona Nova. So, you know, now we're getting the G4 connection coming in. Uh, right. A little, little cross promotion there. And there uh, was an interesting note there about Amy Vorpal is the head writer for D&D Live 2021. And I have no idea what that means, but maybe she wrote all these adventures or I'm not sure. But that's yeah, kind of cool. Maybe just the, the uh, stuff around it, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the bits that will connect all this together. But maybe she yeah. did write the adventures. We'll find out. Uh, and also on the 17th is another big name that we've got coming in. Uh, John Cicillone is the DM for the faster purple worm kill kill table uh, with <laughs> with Bill Raher uh, and uh, uh, from Beetle and Grimm. Those those people are. But also playing will be Seth Green. What? Yeah. Uh, B. Dave Walters, Deborah Ann Wall. And Xander Generat. It's all about awesome. it's all about a doomed campaign to hunt a massive monster. Could you tell me about uh, Xander? Uh, Xander does a lot of streaming, and I was fortunate to be on one stream uh, doing a fantasy age game, and they're just so good, uh, super fun, always amazing to watch. Um, yeah, so just just uh, perfect. If I was ever to say to somebody like. You know, someone would say to me, oh, who should I put on a stream? I'd be like, well, Xander Genre, that's a person to bring in. Like, super energetic, super fun, great. Excellent, Excellent presence. Sweet. So, yeah, there's a lot of star power, uh, D&D speaking, uh, at, at these tables. So, you know, if you are a fan of watching live streams or watching podcast, not watching podcasts, but watching streams, actual plays, you have a pick of a lot of good stuff to watch there and you can see them on the D and D or a G4 TV Twitch channels uh, on G4 TV or uh, the Watsi YouTube channels or on Peacock TV. So you, uh, you can get your fix at a lot of different places. Someone posted a picture from like the very first D and D live type stream they did. Yeah. Where it was like just this like one little like cramped studio where they were trying to do things and then how <laughs> this is just a whole other yeah. world now. What was the and first I, one they did at a game shop? Was that the first it, one? That's a good question. The I mean, there was certainly there was that Storm Kings one. Yeah, yeah, the game shop that might have been the sort of first, and that was even yeah. I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to say what really was first, but it, it for what yeah. we could certainly say is yeah. boy, it has gotten so much bigger and so different and. That is, yeah, it it is definitely different. And, Can you imagine yeah, what next year will bring? Parallels the the growth of the hobby, yeah, uh, over the yeah. over these last few years. So we uh, next will talk about Ravenloft. Uh, they have released a character sheet for that was used for the D and D virtual play weekend that has some spooky border art on it. And you can get that at the wizards.com website. There's a link in our show notes and that leads into what Teos and I did over our summer vacation or over our last weekend, <laughs> uh, which was play in the Epic 
that kicks off the new Mist Hunters Adventures League season. We did it at uh, July, the July uh, D&D Virtual Play Weekend on Sunday. And I really didn't get a chance to talk to Teos after we finished about what he thought about the experience. So we're going to have a little chat about that. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing was that you got to create your character and it was done with this sort of back and forth questions, uh, prompts given by the DM using Taroka cards. So there'd sort of be a pull of a card and that would guide us as to like what our background was. So what did you think about the whole, that whole mechanic? I, I liked it. Only in only because uh, per, you know personally speaking, I love that sort of thing, and I have come to dislike building a character levels one through twenty and considering everything about it before you even sit down and put pen to paper or finger to you know keyboard. Uh, so in that sense, I liked it. I liked that the instructions we got were to come with an idea of maybe a, a, you know, a race or a background or something like that in, in general terms, and then let the card spark your imagination. And it really did that. And it changed the character that I was thinking of, um, you know, based on the cards that were drawn, it changed the, that character pretty significantly. Uh, so I, I enjoy that. And then I like, you know, building on, these key themes, building your character on themes. Uh, but for me, theme is a strong thing in all my design. Start with yeah. theme and work up from there. So so getting handed a theme, it was it was very creative for me. You know, it, it helped me uh you know get out of a, a little bit of a creative rut even uh by by that by that means. What did you think? I wonder yeah, those are all really good thoughts, Sean. I um Along the lines of what you said, I was talking to Mike Shea briefly, and he shared that when he created, he played it at a different table, and when he did it, he he started with like sort of like happy go lucky gnome, and mm -hmm. ended up with like dark murder gnome, right. and you know, and, and so it did it transform. And the same thing for me, you know, I sort of started with one vision for a character, and then transmuted to another uh, as these cards are pulled. Uh, it, it it did really influence the design. Um, I found that it was hard to focus on making my character and what other people were creating. And that was the part that I wish that maybe could have been easier uh, in that I knew that at some point play is going to begin and I need to have a character that I can run. Mm -hmm. And so I was sort of like in D and D beyond trying to sort of do the steps that I knew at various points while learning new things. And so I, I wasn't sure how that should all work. Um, you know, there have been in the past systems like in the 4E DM box set that you kind of like made a decision and then you learned a piece of your character and right. then you sort of got your character, you know, and, and you, like you've got the powers or whatever. Yeah. Um, and this was a little more like you now have the raw ingredients, oh, and make your character in the next 10 minutes. And that was a little hard. Yeah, it, I, I felt that because I think every player at our table knew what they were doing, it was smooth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were done well before the time frame that we needed to be done. Um, if I was DMing it and I had to sit down with, say, new players, that would have been a whole different experience. Yeah, uh, and our DM was very good and had oh, yeah. practiced running it beforehand uh, as a sort of slot zero. 
Yep. So, and, and I think had run it officially because we played it on Sunday. So, so they had run it officially and in practice. So they had the system down pat. Um, but I would have liked a, a few places where, where you could better understand what the, the, the different characters are doing. Also, sometimes the cards were, you know, everybody has the same background. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was a little bit like, oh, okay, we're all this in some expression of it. So, I, you know, I don't know. I'd love to see it tweaked over well, time. I, I yeah. definitely liked it overall. To, to be clear, we didn't all have the same background as in the, the rule element, you know, capital B background. True. We, we all got the same card that was supposed to um, delineate where the theme on which we mm-hmm. were building. So I think ours was like tax collector or you know, right. it, was, it was business right. related. Right. So, so your, your backstory had to somehow tie in with this you know, concept of, you know, the tax collection, the economy, the, mm-hmm. the rigidness of, you know, that, so you could like be for it or against it, but it did, it did. And it was, it was odd because the, one of the last cards that was drawn was the merchant. <laughs> So we yeah. had sort of this tax collector and this merchant. So it sort of brought a a commerce sort of law and order um, yep. element. Now you could go against those, right? It could of be for or against. But it was it was very funny that that we sort of came up came up in that yeah. way. Um, and the story itself was uh, uh, well, one of the so there were sort of two things that I thought were interesting, design wise, goal wise, in this. So one was this idea of create your own character. I thought overall that was a good success, like we're saying. And then there was this thing. Then there was the event itself, which was supposed to be both an epic and the overall campaign supposed to be very story heavy and low combat. And we saw that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was. We had no combat that I remember. Right. <laughs> uh, no. and. And it, it was, you know, interesting. We you had the typical epic. By the way, we're gonna spoil this uh this epic a bit here. So Yeah, and, and I don't think to the point where you can't have fun. No, it's just no. we'll just tell you what the premise is. Right, or, right. Know. And so and so the premise is it's an invest definitely a an investigation heavy adventure. So you're looking for clues and you are at a masquerade ball. So there are people weaving their way in and out of your table. So, you know, the NPCs that typically wander from table to table who can drop clues or have something interesting happen. And then there are the standard NPCs that your DM will be playing um, that can also drop clues or hints. And generally there's a skill check involved. And if you can pass the skill check, you can get the clue and, and you're trying to get a certain number of clues to be able to move on to the next part. Yeah, and and uh, it was I liked the masquerade ball aspect because you had people wearing interesting masks, and then you could early on sort of learn about the various masks. Oh, the fox face this, or the jellyfish costume this, and and then you could go and, and seek out which ones to talk to and learn different things from them and notice certain details and find keys and yeah, I, I thought that all worked really well and was masterfully written. I liked yeah. it. Yeah, the what I found was I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of playing online. Um, mm-hmm. I can run online and, and not love it, but it, I can handle it. I'm not the hugest fan of playing online. And I found that actually role-playing online without being able to see people 
was even harder for me than role playing combat or you know doing combat online because with combat you generally have some sort of tabletop and you can move around and you can see things but not being able to see the faces of not just the dm but the other players um made yeah. it harder for me to sort of get into character and keep track of who was saying what and who was doing what um if everybody at the at the table is sort of you know the the North American male of a certain age, everyone's voice sort of sounds the same. Yeah. So you're not sure who was saying what and you know, who was doing what it, it, be, it was a little harder to follow. Um, yeah. Some of the but it was games, still fun. That, some of the games I've done online, you know, everybody turns on their camera and this is one where at some point I was like the only person with a camera and I'm like, Oh, right. I'll turn it off. You know, like, yeah. Well, the reason was uh, it was in, it was when they do these epics, Everything is usually in Discord. Um, and, you know, l many DMs, if it's not an epic, will go out and do Zoom or do, you know, some other uh, yeah. video thing. But I've found uh, Discord, there's more bugs, there's more hiccups. Like if I turn my camera on, bad things start to happen mm. generally. Uh, so and our DM so, said that too, yeah. Yeah. So it made it harder to, because when I've run games in Zoom, I just turn my camera on. Uh, and not everybody does, but for me, I can have 20 people on Zoom and there's no problem. Whereas on Discord, for some reason, it just doesn't seem to work as well. Yeah. So overall, it was pretty good. Um, you can find an article on character creation for Mist Hunters, because I'm sure this will run again, or at least the, the adventures from Mist Hunters will run again. Mm -hmm. um, it clarifies the sources you can use for your character creation. So that's good to look at if you're going to join this campaign, which I recommend. Uh, the other thing I noticed is the product page for Van Richten's has been updated with various things. And, and you kind of have to really look to find these, um, especially the last one. So one is new character sheet that we mentioned, a PDF of the spirit board. And we had said, oh, you know, there's this great spirit board in the back of the book, but what are you going to tear out your page? So here it is, both black and white and color version of the spirit board. Um, and then at the very bottom to easy, uh, the very bottom of the page, and very easy to miss is a Taroka deck web tool that will allow you to draw a random card. You just click and it draws. Yeah. Um, and it shows beautiful art. Um, so that's pretty neat. Yeah, and very handy if you start running this uh, Adventures League Mist Hunters campaign. Yeah. Um, they also released from the Adventures League an article discussing safety tools. And if you read it and get to the bottom, you can see that written the article is a reward for your character in this campaign. So... Optimize your character by learning all about safety tools. Yep. Uh, next in news, Gen Con, which happens September 16th to 19th, is dropping their mask requirements. So uh, I'm going to let Teos chime in here uh, as I as I go through it. Uh, so it, do, it does require you to have a vaccine card, and then you get a wristband for the show that shows that you've been vaccinated. Um, Gen Con is saying that based on their survey... 87% of those surveyed are vaccinated and that 92% will be vaccinated by convention time. Uh, I would love to believe these numbers, <laughs> but I also live in a reality-based world where uh -huh. the national average is much, much lower than that. And in Indiana, the average is less than, uh, the vaccination rate is less than 50%, much less than 50%. Uh, wow. So I, I, I hope that, what, what what I say to myself is gamers are smarter and 
less prone to fantastical uh while they're fantastical in their hobby mm-hmm. they are more reality based in the real world and they understand that getting vaccination uh could save the planet so therefore they would be va- they would be vaccinated at much higher rates than the general population i hope so my my uh sarcastic uh pessimistic side which i don't have much of but it comes out in moments like this are that people filling out this survey were tr- playing, you know, gaming the system, which is what gamers do to say, I'm going to tell you I'm going to be vaccinated so that you will allow all these things to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are a number of gamers, and I've met them and talked to them uh, virtually, that say, you know, I do not want to play and wear a mask, and, and I don't care if people aren't vaccinated or get sick. That's on them. I'm vaccinated, you know. Mm-hmm. So it goes. Yeah. Um, and so I would guess that a lot of these results are sort of skewing that way because, I mean, 92% is, is <laughs> there's no state that's going to achieve that by convention time. Right. Uh, I don't know that we're going to have a state that hits 60%. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting, there's been a conversation that's, you know, small but loud about, well, what about those of us who have a medical reason why we can't be vaccinated? We have some uh, immunity problem or some other reason why we're not getting vaccinated. And apparently you can also get the wristband, which I think is really kind of strange. Like, I understand that someone who can't possibly be vaccinated wants to be able to attend conventions. I certainly understand that desire. But giving them a wristband that says you don't have to wear a mask mm-hmm. when you can't be vaccinated. Yeah, that seems that, that was a really strange counterintuitive um, and bad for them, right? Like yeah, you need right. all the protections possible yeah, because you can't get, I don't know. Yeah. Um, the last part was just sort of slipped in there is this line about how they were going to have timed entry to the exhibit hall to keep things slow. And they're dropping that idea based on the survey results. And again, that's just, I, I don't know. It seems like a, a logic based on what you want it to be versus what it is. And, I mean, I want Gen Con to be successful, and I, and I care about them as a as a company and organization. And I want to see them you know, prosper and all of that, but uh, I don't know. I'm glad yeah. I'm going to Gamehole Con where they require vaccination. Yep, it's true. Uh, so moving on, we have Jared Rasher talking about using monsters that fit your theme. Uh, Jared writes for Gnome Stew, a an excellent blog, and an t- excellent team of bloggers there. Um, so Jared comes up with a list of themes such as conspiracy or greed, and then pairs them to creature types such as fae or dragons. Uh, and then he has a useful matrix uh, giving great advice on thinking through monsters that fit the theme of your adventure scene. And you can find that uh, on gnomestew.com. Uh, you want to talk about JVC Perry's uh, blog? Yeah, so he turns monsters into traps, which is a fun idea. So he talks about the difficulty of creating cinematic combat scenes, um, such as a horde of monsters or like an epic kraken. And so he proposes using the complex trap mechanics, which you can find the latest version of in Xanathar's. And what you do is you look through what you would do to create a complex trap, and you make that trap fit the concept. So if it's a horde of skeletons... They have an attack value or saving throw that matches the desired challenge level. Um, You can think about whether they're slow, fast, or very fast and choose their initiative accordingly. Like maybe they act on 10 or they act on 20 because they're fast or both because they're very fast. And then 
you know, with a trap, you're sort of disabling it. And here your countermeasures can be things like damage threshold. So you do 10 or more damage. And as a DM, you sort of secretly mark that down as a success. And it's important to note, a lot of this is sort of behind the scenes. So they just feel like they're attacking a horde of, of skeletons or whatever it is. But you're marking it off as if it were a complex trap. You don't tell them, hey, you're facing a complex trap of skeletons. You're, you're facing a horde of skeletons. Um, and I think this particular scenario is sort of envisioning like there's some sort of cursed idol and it's just spewing forth, you know, endless numbers of skeletons. So the other thing you could do is remove the curse in some way or turn off the idol. So those kinds of checks can also stop them. Uh, and he gives two examples, this sort of horde of skeletons and the giant kraken uh, and how those can work. I thought it was a really neat idea, like, uh, worth any yeah. designer and DM taking a look at this concept. I've seen this done before, and it does work really well. Uh, it, not for this edition. Uh, uh, Sean Molly did it, I think, in an adventure for fourth edition uh, that that worked incredibly well and was very fun for the players, at least awesome. the players I ran it for. Um, yeah, fourth edition had some neat takes on that. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. So, great. so there you go. Uh, next, we're going to talk about a interesting new, very new as in like the last few minutes, new product <laughs> released on the DMs Guild from Keith Baker Presents. This is called Mixing Eberron and Ravenloft, Dread Metrol. Mm -hmm. So this is a 112-page Eberron-Ravenloft crossover from the minds of Keith Baker, Andrew Bishkinski, and Imogen Gengel. It introduces the domain of Metrol, and it tells you the story very tragic of the city and its queen, uh, Danelle, the queen of Sire, um, which is a name that remains debated as to how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. I think Keith Baker said originally he thought of it as Siri, but now that's a bad idea because it activates your phone. <laughs> um, Metrol is one of the largest cities of the five nations. We get an overview of it. We get important locations and NPCs, the dragon marked houses. And there's some, you know, this is the kind of thing that like, it separates great design from just good design is you think, oh, all right, you're going to get some interesting NPCs and the uh, dragon mark houses. But instead it's things like how Scalandra makes this ragu that everybody in the siege city eats. And he has a table of what's in the ragu because it's a closely kept secret of how they make this thing. You know, the food that everybody can eat because you can't just farm or anything like that. And so it gives you ideas of what could be in this, depending on what kind of, which way you want to go with it. And they're, they're appropriately horrible, kind of terrible things that are actually really fun and adventure seeds in their own right. And it's so great. Like just, and every designer should take a look at that as like how to give flavor to a, you know, description of a city. No pun intended. Um, yes. <laughs> flavor. Thank you. I didn't even mean that. Yep. Um, so, so uh, yeah. it, it talks about similar things to what we're going to talk about later uh, in this episode, mm -hmm. uh, the Domains of Dread. Uh, so this domain is basically uh, dealing with body horror and dark fantasy. Its hallmarks will include arcane science, brutal siege, limited resources, and tyranny born of desperation. Uh, it also adds for the players group patrons, which we talked about when we reviewed uh, the previous Eberron book that can you can work for the unbroken which are the resistance forces or the queen as a patron uh, also gives you backgrounds uh, and then it gives you what they call the twist it's ideas for making characters that would not normally you wouldn't normally find in Eberron 
using things like lineages, dark gifts, or options like the reconstructed. Um, so a monster template for people rebuilt with worth forged parts. So I, there's I lots of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love the story of this. The idea is that, you know, the secret to making Warforged isn't known, but out of desperation and sort of breaking the rules that most Ebron cities would have, they're experimenting wildly with how to keep people alive under this siege and war against the Carnathi. So they, um, are sort of forging warforged parts into people to keep them going. And that's what a reconstructed is, is you have these, these limbs and pieces that have been exchanged. Uh, it's a very interesting idea, uh, to get into that body horror aspect. Yeah. So it comes with lots of cool things, including an adventure, uh, called the morning after it's an eight to 12 hour adventure designed for first level PCs. Uh, at the end of it, you will have reached fourth level if you play it. So, you know, it's 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 a great introduction. Uh, the story focuses on the resistance movement within Metrol and can work for characters from the area or pulled who have been pulled into the mist. Uh, it uses some of the concepts that we have talked about and will talk about from Van Richten's and suggestions for in integrating those concepts into the book. Yeah, and there's some neat pieces in this adventure, like an NPC that's a combination of two fearsome monsters and the art is great and I don't want to spoil it, but, but the, the creature is a failure of the sort of the war effort attempting to combine these two creatures. So it doesn't have the powers of either creature that they were hoping to harness. And that's your like NPC that you, that you work with at one point. I, I thought that was just so imaginative and creative. Yeah. Um, there's also general guidance and ideas for running your own adventures, either unrelated related to or unrelated to this particular adventure that's provided. Yep. We also get new uh, creature statistics and maps and you know, maps also for virtual tabletops. And what I really loved was there is also a separate supplement with the player content that you can hand to your players, you know, as they're making their characters or, you know, using the characters that they've created. So you don't have, they don't have to go to the main book to get all of that. Yeah. Uh, this is an excellent product. You know, uh, I, I'm, I'm always biased towards what is Keith Baker going to create and his team, but I mean, it is, it is truly good. <laughs> it is really cool. Uh, it's 1795 and it just hit the DMs guild and has begun climbing up the charts. Mm-hmm. And with that, we are now going to continue our talk on Ravenloft by talking about Chapter 3, which gives us several domains within the dark mists of Ravenloft. So, domains. There are several. There are many. Uh, we do not have the time to cover them all, but we're going to first talk in general about what these domains are how to use them, and then we'll run through some examples of ones from the book. Awesome. Would you like yeah, to start so us off? The first thing that we get into here is it talks about the mists uh, as the first aspect of how the, uh, the, the dark powers that manipula manipulate the various domains exert their, their strength, their power, and how they control the lands. Um, so the mists form the borders of each domain, but they also can appear within the lands themselves mm -hmm. and they work at the behest of the dark powers. 
So starting your turn in the mists is bad. You get a DC 20 con save or you gain one level of exhaustion, which cannot be removed while you're in the mists. Um, that's that interesting. Means, that means in, in six turns, you could be dead. Yes. It doesn't quite link to the traveling through the mists, which takes hours. So it's sort of a slight, it's a weird sort of, um, exactly how this is supposed to work with the other rules in here is a little strange to me. Yeah. My guess is that the idea is that if you're going to really deeply go into the mist and just sort of sit there, this is what happens. Mm -hmm. But if you're charting your way through it, you're, I guess, avoiding this. Yeah, it's, it. if you step back and look at it design-wise and how the rules are supposed to inform the narratives that you create, these myths are meant to be prisons. So okay. you, if as the DM, you're telling a story where you don't want the characters to go into them, you turn on this, Hey, DC 20 con check every turn, or you gain a level of exhaustion. And after is it, it's six, right? Six levels. Or is it five levels? Yeah. Uh, hmm. And anyway, it's not many levels six. of exhaustion, six, six levels of exhaustion. Uh, you die. So when you turn that on, when, you want it to be the prison that it is meant to be narratively. And then and if you want them to explore in it, you can sort of turn that dial back and say, well, you know, every hour that you're in the mist, as you wander around, you may have to make one of these saves. I think the mechanic here is the idea that the mist can be either open or closed, mm -hmm. which the dark Lord in the domain chooses whether to open or close their borders. So if it's open, then there is no exhaustion. Mm -hmm. uh, and but travel is still hard, and we we get this um, uh, a D one hundred die roll, but it, it doesn't have that many options. It has something like ten or eight options right. um, that that dictate what happens if you try to travel through it when it is open. Mm -hmm. um, this can result in all kinds of things, like you show up where you started, or you end up in another domain, or um, a world on the material plane. You know, it, it can have a lot of various effects. I, I found this to be one of those tables that I think is great as inspiration. I wouldn't want to literally roll on it and be as a DM, like, oh, oh no, I guess you get back to the prime. We're done with Ravenloft. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a very and, weird table. <laughs> it's a strange table. Yeah. Uh, it can have monsters show up and things like that. Um, but uh, but I think it's good inspiration. Um and then there's the th the concept of a mist talisman, which allows you to travel to a specific domain if the border is open. If it's closed, then you use the wandering mists table, and that's where that whole exhaustion thing. I'm not sure how that's supposed to. Right. Uh, maybe maybe it bypasses the exhaustion when you have the mist talisman. I didn't really see that, but but uh, that the mist talisman, if the border is open, allows you to travel to the specific domain. Otherwise, you use the wandering mist table, which is kind of hard. But yeah. again, DMs will alter that, hopefully, to fit what they want for the narrative. Yep. And then they give you a section called Magic and Metaphysics, talking about how the dark powers manipulate each domain, uh, controlling the magic. Uh, it says that magic may be rare in a domain. It works, but the inhabitants are surprised by it. Uh, or it may be commonplace. It may be corrupted. So... You know, it, it's sort of what I felt with this section was they're like, all right, this is how we see magic is working. But then when you actually start reading over the the actual descriptions of the domains, it's sort of anything goes. Yeah. Uh, so you can 
use this as a general uh, idea, but an individual domain may break these rules. Um, it, it talks about souls being imprisoned in these in these domains. So even if someone dies, they their soul doesn't escape. It's just what's the next thing? Is it reincarnation? Is it your soul gets turned into an undead creature? Is it your soul gets absorbed into something else? You know, all of these things are likely to happen. And what doesn't happen is you go off to the you know, happy hunting grounds and, uh, and right. live, out, live and live out the rest of your soul's eternity in bliss. Nope. Uh, and uh, there are dark souls and bright souls. Um, some inhabitants have no actual soul. And we, we saw this with uh, the curse of, Strad, but, yeah. uh, you know, these, these folks are, are sort of listless and don't laugh and just go through their days. Whereas bright souls are born in a, in a domain or into a domain with a soul. And they, they are the exception to everyone else's rules. So they're going to be vibrant and imaginative and ambitious and, and show personality as opposed to those that don't have souls. Mm -hmm. uh, death the soul is, if your soul is, if something worse doesn't happen to your soul, it's trapped by the mist and can't travel to the afterlife. Um, and generally, you will be reincarnated, although that might take decades. And even a wish spell does not allow you or the soul to escape from uh, it to other planes. Which is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what I'm, when we talk about the individual domains, what we'll see is, it's not really true, though, for a lot of domains. <laughs> a lot of domains, you sort of can come and go from the domain much more easily than you can in, say, Bavaria. Uh, yeah. Which which is needed, I think. I, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about this later. Yeah. I, I think that this was a, a section that... Uh... I didn't find Rose to the amazing standards the rest of the book sets, right? And the rest of the book does a really amazing job of being like a toolkit level useful mm -hmm. by the virtue of how it's written. It's written in a way that's not only interesting and informative, but like tells you what to do with it. And things like these souls being, in, uh, you know, people who are just hollowed out husks and lack a soul. The, the key to it is that you can tell stories because of that, right? Mm -hmm. Right. You can, in, in Barovia, we see in Curse of Strahd that they're just people that as you talk to them, you realize they're barely there. Mm -hmm. They're carrying out their function, but they, they lack any spark in any real life. And that's when you realize, wow, this is horrible. These, these are like almost constructs. They're right. Yeah. Husks. And that's amazing. And I think that the issue is that what we're seeing here is really about Barovia. And all of these other places... If they're too yeah. much like Barovia, then they're not mm -hmm. distinct enough to be cool. Let's let's play there. Why not just play yeah. in Barovia? But by being so different, they break the rules that they're setting forth here. Um, yeah, like I looked at this magic maybe rare thing and I thought, oh, this is so cool. You can have a sort of Victorian type feel where you know, anyone is amazed if you cast magic. And then I'm like, okay, what is the you know, next domain I'm going to look at? Oh, like complete eldritch horror, weird, super right. magic place. Okay. With, with magic everywhere. And then, and then not far <laughs> from that is the carnival, right? Yeah. Where, where it's like all this cool magical stuff entertains people. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's different. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, I, I think if you just use it as a guide 
in general, this is true, then the exceptions to these rules stand out and make these other places a little more interesting. Um, And, you know, it's the same thing with the next section, which is life in the domains of dread. Uh, It says, you know, each domain has its own culture. It could have unusual technologies. Um, The domains mint their own coins, but accept any currency. Well, except the ones that don't use money at all. Like, like, like the, the Eldritch uh, horror one, Uh, you know, all domains share a common language, but they may have different accents or use different words to mean uh, the same things. Or they say as a DM, you can create specific languages for certain domains and then allow downtime to be used to learn those different languages. And they make an interesting point that the downtime rules say it takes you 250 days to learn a language. So, oops, that won't work. But, you know, conversational thing could happen faster in seven days, which I think is a very funny allowance. (laughs) Every player after it would be like, hey, can I just get the conversational level, you know, and invest seven days of downtime instead of the 250 so I can write a, you know, play. Yep, which is just one of those sort of silly things of D&D, right? Everybody can talk to each other, even if they can't talk to each other. I don't don't know if this is old lore, but I thought this was fascinating about the uh, calendar. Uh, Do you know if this is? I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. The the 12 lunar cycles beginning on a full moon is how you measure time rather than months. And all domains, for inexplicable reasons, believe the current year to be 735. Yeah. Yeah, why not? What's what's the significance <laughs> of seven thirty five? If you're a listener out there and you know what that lore comes from, I, I'm I'm now super curious, and I haven't had the chance to look it up. So I'm yep. super curious where that came from. Is that somebody's locker combination or did <laughs> yeah. FR seven uh, the right. uh, Dale Reckoning seven thirty five mean something or Greyhawk or I don't know. I'm curious. Yeah, not sure. Uh, they also talk about the religion of the domains of dread. Uh, any deity can be worshipped, uh, but the gods are seen as sort of distant and aloof, except for Ezra, which made me wonder if there's a, a god that's better than Ezra. But um, <laughs> the the Ezra is the god of the mists, so this uh, she's considered female. Uh, they call her she or her, and so she is worship, worshipped more than any other gods, and so her true nature is a mystery, but she is sort of this this one that can be seen as an avatar of the mists, but also can be seen as a protector from the mists. So she sort of has a wide range of potential, uh, not domains, but you know, potential themes that can go along with with her. Yeah, uh, I was just thinking that you know, it is nothing harder to figure out pronouns than God pronouns. This is true. This is true. Uh, well, I ended up playing a cleric at, at the event, but I really didn't know what god or goddess or force to worship. And then there was a temple of Ezra. So I was like, yep. well, there's no, I'll say it again, there's nobody better than Ezra in, uh, in Ravenloft, apparently. So we're, we're going to go with that. Now we get into the domains that are featured in this book. Um, they all have common sections, and we mentioned some of them already. Uh, they have an overview section, uh, like who is the Dark Lord, uh, what genre is it, what are the hallmarks of this place, and then we get sort of uh, more in-depth features about the NPCs that are there, the cities, the setting, uh, 
the themes, what sorts of adventures you might want to run there, etc. Uh, each Dark Lord has a stat block that can be used, um, unless there isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it's interesting, again, to go back to this concept that we mentioned last week, where the Dark Lord is the ruler of the domain, but the, the Dark Powers are really in command. And so yeah. it's it's an interesting my the thing I'm looking for most when I read these domains is one you know what are the themes two what are what's the dark lord's prison like you know why is this the way it is because of the dark lord and the third is what are the goals of the characters when they enter this place those are the three things that I want when I read a domain everything yeah. else you know, I want it to be good, obviously, but I can I can deal with, you know, maybe a little less description of the setting. I can make that up my own, but but I I want to know those three things. Um, so let's talk about some of the domains. We're not going to cover them all, but we'll touch on a, a few here. Uh, do you want to talk about one that that drew your attention? So I mean, let's just get Barovia out of the way. It's the okay. first one that's presented. We all know it from various other products, uh, Ravenloft products from the very beginning, i6 and on. Um, it's your gothic horror genre. And what I thought was interesting here, besides the overview and features that we kind of all likely know, is this table of adventure concepts and a table of who Tatiana might be in this iteration of Barovia, which includes that she could be lost appearing in a different domain or as even a character in the party. And I thought those were some interesting pieces that DMs who have this larger product could go like, oh, you know, that could be an interesting piece to play with in some way mm -hmm. and link one domain to the other, Barovia to other domains. I thought that was cool. Yeah. The next domain is one that I looked at, which is Blutspur. Uh, the Dark Lord is called the God Brain of Blutspur. Uh, and... This is a cosmic horror sort of uh, setting, and I, I struggled right away to sort of get reconcile everything that we've read so far with this domain <laughs> because it's it's this it's almost like the dream world and if you get Lovecraftian, you know, yeah, yeah. The land beyond the veil of sleep, whatever you want to call it, but it's also a very physical place. And cosmic horror is so hard to do in a f fantasy game uh, because it's all about the indescribable, but yet you need to describe it. It's all about the unknowable, yet the players want to know everything. Uh, it's all about being out of your depth, but the players need to be, you know, capable fighters and, and wizards and, and people in order to get through this. Uh, so the, the dark Lord is this God brain who is being kept alive by uh, mind flayers and other aberrant creations that he has made. Uh, so the God brain is trapped here because it's dying and it's using its, its servants as well as things that, its servants uh, abduct from other places, bringing them here to feed and maintain this God brain. So, you know, you think about the, the brain in a jar sort of idea, but it's, it's yep. huge. It's like, you know, the size of a whole city. And 
Uh, so it's it's very, very different from everything that we think about when we think about Barovia. When we think about Barovia, we think of these small villages and these little hamlets and how they survive. There really isn't any civilization that the characters would be uh, from in here. There's no town on the surface. Uh, all of this is happening underground. And there's lots of talk of, you know, in, in your dream state, you go to this place. But yet there's also people are being dragged here physically. And and there's no one core central thing uh, about it that makes me say, okay, the adventure I'm going to run here is this. And this right. is the goal of the characters. And I think I also, reading the previous chapters, I sort of expected that each domain would sort of have, here's the Dark Lord, their mistake, and here's the path to their undoing, because the players might want to do this. And when you have this God brain um, that, you know, yeah, it's, it sort of made mistakes, but it, it it's not like there's a clear undoing or thing that you would do to rectify the situation. It seems impossible, right? There's hordes of mind flares and right. it's just, but what, what I liked about it and I, and I think it maybe could have oriented towards a little better is, is this memory loss thing. And, and the idea that you, your memory will be modified um, is kind of cool because you could do some really clever things around the characters have actually already been here. Yeah. But what did they see? Or, you know, you're actually returning, mm -hmm. you know, somebody knows you, you know, those kinds of aspects could be very freaky and very interesting mystery in this sort of unknowable large landscape, but you're not here to take down the domain probably because that seems kind right. of hard. Yeah. Th this is more like a, a cool subplane of the far realm that you have to go into to retrieve someone who was taken or to yeah. investigate something. Uh, one of the cool things they suggest is start at a higher level. And then when you like start at higher level, but have some mystery, like you have these scars and you don't know how you got them or you have these tattoos and you don't know how you got them. And then when you enter it, go back and play a lower level version of your character. And this is where you got the scars or this is where you got the tattoos. And I thought that was really cool. What I would also do is put a more normal city in this realm and have the players go to the city. Everyone comes into the city first and you investigate what's going on and people are being, people are dis being disappeared. Uh, and then you lead you down into the depths where the, the Illithid are doing these experiments and keeping their God brain alive. Yeah. Um, you know, one that I might mention because we just finished adventuring it is Dementalium, mm -hmm. uh, which has the genre of psychological horror and dark fantasy. And the Dark Lord is this sort of uh, aristocratic figure and throws all these masquerade balls in the city of Port Alucine, uh, which I think you wrote as even a, even more corrupt Las Vegas with some Washington, D.C. thrown in. Um and this idea of social decay, a sort of mask of red death type feeling, uh, illusions, imposter syndrome kept being tossed around as a term when we were playing. And to take an example of, that I liked a lot from this epic 
there were, I think, five rules initially that we had to obey mm -hmm. at this masquerade during the ball. Things right. you had to do. So, for example, if a chime sounded, you all had to say a certain thing to praise uh, the, 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 the domains. Yeah. The duchess, yeah. And then we all added to them the various tables and this was like one of those party games where you have to remember that you know you can't say a, a name ending in y or you can't say you or whatever right? and i thought that was a really fun capture of what this place is about yeah that that was fun and you know even if you're paying attention and even if you're really good you know we still had several faux pas uh yeah just because and, and it was it was fun it was fun role playing and i wish we could have done it in person because i yes. think that would have been <laughs> that would have been so much you know so much more uh, in, in the moment. Yeah. But, like I, I danced with, uh, one of the admins came to our table as an NPC and I danced with this, um, this, uh, uh tabaxi, uh, poorly. I danced very poorly, mm -hmm. uh, but it pulled it off, I guess, and got, got the clue I needed. But, um, but it was this fun, you know, that kind of interaction is so fun when you are at the event yeah. and, and everybody's watching to see what happens. And there's that, that extra heightening of like, Oh, what is going to happen with the, you know, is this tabaxi going to take me off and murder me or, uh, what's going to happen. So uh, yeah, a, a neat place. And I think that kind of masquerade type event is, is almost like a must, you know, if you're doing your where, which domains do you have to visit on your tour of yeah. Ravenloft? I mean, I think Dement Liu or, or even a bit of uh Borka, you know, that kind of political intrigue mm -hmm. type aspect is really uh, yeah. a nice element to hit. Yeah. So, so just to, just to give an example of what we were talking about, about, you know, the myths being a little more porous than they are described throughout. In Barovia, obviously, it's a trap. It keeps everyone in, and you can't escape. Uh, Bluetspur is the, the one where, you know, in your dreams you come there or you're captured and, and come there, and then you're expected to return. Uh, for, you know, that's a lot of traveling through the mists. It's not the Ravenloft idea of only one in every 10,000 people are able to escape, if that, and you have to be, you know, this is like people coming in and out of this uh, realm. The next one's Borka, uh, which is cool because it has a, a it has two Dark Lords. And right. Had, they, yeah. Which is fun. You're like, oh, right. You could have more than one because people do horrible things together sometimes. So what this, uh, they don't necessarily war with each other, uh, but they have interesting backstories. And what I would do is turn this into a place where you actually show this cycle of corrupt politics, where one person's in power, one of the lords is in power, the other is trying to overthrow them. And then when they do, the one that comes to power becomes the horrible oppressive person and, and then the, the one that's out of power rallies everyone and then you know this sort of cycle that we see in in politics of yeah you know corrupt politicians versus the corrupt revolutionaries that become right. the corrupt power when they yeah. when they take power it's perfectly made for that and it sort of shies away from that yeah uh, and and i would just lean right yes. heavily into that the whole if only we could rule then we could change right. things for the better to get there. We must do these dark things, right? Surely you're on board with this. Oh, look, now we have power. Let's do more dark things. Cause you know what? We might lose power and you don't know, want to know what the other side's going to do. Yep. Yep. And it's perfectly, it's a perfectly built, uh, domain for that. So, yeah. uh, if you use it, lean right into that. Uh, but it really doesn't talk about, um, 
like leaving what you need to do to leave. So you'll, you're going to want as the DM to figure out what that is and what is the thing that's going to open up the border for the players? What do they need to achieve uh, to do that? It, you know, is it de- de- depose the person in power? Is it deposing both of them? Is it, <laughs> is it, uh, you know, deposing none of them? What's the, what's the thing? And the next one's the carnival. Uh, which we want to discuss because the Dark Lord is actually a sentient evil holy avenger, um, <laughs> which which is a great, you know, great thing right away. Uh, but again, it's this is a realm that travels through the mists, so the, it's not like you're locked in when you're in the carnival. The carnival actually comes to your domain or comes to your hometown, even. Uh, and and so you know it it's a very porous wall that you come come into and you can actually yeah. you know be a carnival worker or you can uh be a patron of the carnival and we mentioned a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about the the Feywild product that's coming up that that seems to link directly to this because he sold the leader of the carnival mm-hmm. uh who wields the holy avenger longsword uh, she made a deal to sort of trade her carnival for this carnival. Um, and so we'll, we may get part of the this story, another part of the story from uh, the Witchlight product, which will be very interesting. Yeah, and you may end up uh, traveling back and forth between these two adventures. And creepy carnivals, I, I think one of the creepiest Ravenloft adventures, what, what's it called? It has the like doll on the cover. Yeah. Carnival souls or something like that. Yeah. Something yeah. Like that. It, it is. Uh, and there, there have been an, a, a couple of different creepy doll things. I, I, I don't actually understand why people are so afraid of uh, clowns, but it's true. And then dolls. I mean, so you can just totally dig into these aspects that are very classic. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you by the, uh, by the grim hollow, monster grimoire book when it comes out if you want to have a little uh, creepy doll action coming your way excellent yeah so uh anything else you want to mention about those domains there are several more but we just can't cover them all i mean i think i forget what it is like 13 or something that there there is a a lot of them and then there's this other domains of dread that talks about all these other options including like Eberron's uh, the morning rail and, and all kinds of other options so you you kind of get this a, a really good example of the breadth that Ravenloft can offer to you plus then these little snippets that you can use to extend it further which I think combined with the previous chapter we talked about of how you can create a domain of dead, you really have everything you need to create almost any type of Ravenloft experience, which is cool. I think that if I had been asked to place a bet on how much of this type of information we would get, I would not have guessed they would get this much, mm-hmm. both from a toolkit perspective and an actually written out number of domains. I would have guessed it's something like seven or something like that. And this is, you get a lot here. Yeah, they definitely did not skimp on uh, giving you tools and giving you actual instruction on how to use those tools. So it was, it was great, yeah. great uh, and, job overall. I don't, I don't think we mentioned when we were talking about the mist section that there is this group that can move through them of where Ravens, or at least that's how I started as called the keepers of the feather, mm-hmm. uh, which is an interesting organization you can work with. And and at the end of the chapter, there's this travelers section that covers uh, the societies and other groups, the Vistani, of course, that you can interact with um, when you're wandering from domain to domain. Yeah. 
And the other thing you need to be aware of when you read these domains is figure out the length of campaign that you could do in a domain. Like you, you may want to do a whole campaign in one domain. Not every domain is built to to handle an entire campaign. You could do it in Barovia because there's lots of towns and places to travel. But some of the domains, like the carnival, is very small. It would be difficult to run a whole level 1 to 20 campaign within the carnival or within some of the smaller, uh, more restrained domains. I think, you know, maybe if it dropped you off, and then you had, you know, to do something and come back. Right. And, and I think that's what we see with this, uh, campaign that, and, and really this is another thing that all DMS out there who are thinking about running a Ravenloft campaign is look at these mist hunter adventures once they get released on the DMS guild, because this campaign is using the guardians organization to weave you through the various domains in a sort of almost like, I don't know, investigative society handling issues. And so, that that's a way that you can tour them, right, and see mm-hmm. see these different places because it is fun that you have this much material. You don't want to go to just one domain. True. And with that, we want to thank everybody for listening. We hope you have enjoyed uh, our look at the domains, and hope you come back next time where the monsters of Ravenloft will be discussed. Um, and if I'm seeing this correctly, that'll be that'll complete our coverage since we already did chapter four. This will be chapter true. five, and it'll be the end of this book, which is. Perfect timing, I think, given that all these new releases are getting ready to come out. It's true. We better uh, get our reading glasses out because we've got a lot of reading to do in the next few months. <laughs> yes, we do. So thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoy the show. Uh, if you enjoyed the show and you would like to become a patron, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash MMP. Teos, where can people find you on social media? Well, you know, this week I would say that you should come uh, check out on the YouTube channel for Saving Throw Show. You can there see the stream that uh, already episode one is out and episode two will be out. It's filming tonight as the time of this recording, so it'll be before too long, episode two, where we are playing Dune on the Saving Throw Show, going through the new Modifius RPG and um, looking at how to create a house with it and how to create characters and all of that. We're even linking with Roll20 and what they provide for the platform. So cool way for you to learn all about the Dune RPG. Check that out on the Saving Throw Show on YouTube or on Twitch. And then you can find me on a blog, alphastream.org, Twitter, at alphastream. I am not doing any fun things. I will be... (laughs) That's here, not we- true. Weeping at my desk. But You're living the dream. Weeping am, is called living the dream. I am living the weeping dream. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can go on the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com or follow the <laughs> podcast's Twitter at Mastering D&D. The domain of being a designer. Yes. That's what I couldn't help but think of. Mastering Dungeons is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Mr. Abadia, what should we do now? We're going to weep in the weeping domain of game designers living their dream. Woo!